We got to work on being less morally scrupulous. Yeah, our podcast would do better. I mean, I don't know if our podcast would do better, Daniel. (laughs) No, I was saying we could actually start an enterprise that would make money rather than (laughs) this thing. Well, we didn't do it to make money, so our motivations were wrong. I know. That's what what we could do if we actually decided to make money, Sam. That's my my point. We already discussed that. It would be something duplicitous and under... It would be a dog (laughs) security for malls. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Book Retorts. I'm Sam. I'm Danielle. And this is the podcast about sharing your weird media finds with your friends who don't know what you're talking about. But you do know what we're talking about, Danielle, or you should. Well, maybe not. It's been a while. It's been so long. It's we been so long. The holidays all came. the holidays in La Pluie. Yeah. What an adventure we've had, Danielle. This is so long. I'm so scared. Can you remember the name of what we're doing? Uh, Hyperion 3. Nope. No. <laughs> um, the name of the guy that is also the city. What is the name? Oh, my God. Oh, you really don't remember the name of this. Terrible. I will come to me. Give me a second. All right. Who said I was helping? Oh, my God. I know. I can't remember. I'm sorry. It's Endymion. Oh, Endymion. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> Do you remember what part we're on, at least? Part four? Four. Very good. Okay. See, I didn't lose everything. All right. Well, let's see how much you remember from part three then, Danielle. Nothing. I don't remember anything. Uh, that's a inauspicious beginning. Okay. So at one point they went to – wait, is this – was it in part three that they made it to the uh, the tomb where she was – what's-her-face was coming out? That was part two. That was part two. So she came out and yeah, they – way past that. And, <laughs> and I don't know what happens after that. What happens after that, Sam? <laughs> Give me oh, some no. clues. It's bl- All right. It's been like two months. <laughs> <laughs> they escape. I figured. Oh, and they're like shooting yeah. through space multiple times and they're playing like right, right. chicken with the other group, the oh, government. Oh, boy. So- where they keep popping into the space name? and the other pl- and the like, uh, the they, they they make exactly two hops. Through yeah, space, they make Daniel. two hops through space, and then the government people, the Catholic-ish government people. What's his name? Uh, Father Captain DeSoya. Yeah. Okay. Stupid name. And what? <laughs> Father <laughs> Captain. He's a he's a Father Captain. He's like a priest I get military why it's rank. Called Father Captain is a dumb name, and that is why I can't remember it. It's not his name. It's his rank, it's Daniel. Dumb. His name is the, Frederico the, like, DeSoya. Title is dumb. Like the, the whole. <laughs> title all of it you so. know if there was a catholic military they would use ranks like father captain they would and it's dumb <laughs> okay <laughs> so father captain de soya is in charge of the government warships or whatever that's trying to get what's your face back okay you're so i don't know if you're conflating like three or four things together into one but kind of so there's two stops that they make and they don't catch them because they don't plot and they, the end. Great. They go swimming. <laughs> is that that one? Is that for the Zen three? That happens. So who oh. goes swimming, Danielle? Okay. See, I, I was making sure I was in the right part of my brain for that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so isn't most of it just like them cavorting around the ship for like half of that story? Yeah. Yeah, that's is. why I can't remember it. So that's not that's not fair. There's nothing that happens. They're just like in a ship and they're <laughs> yeah. going through space and they're traveling to wherever they're going. I don't even remember. Pavardi, I think. Sure. And was the first place Pavardi. And I remember that the uh, author makes a big deal out of them. Not it's not gross that the Endymion and the girl. What's the girl's name, Sam? You remember the girl's name? Why I couldn't remember Ania. Endymion's name. <laughs> Do you remember Endymion's first name? Uh, Ra. Wow. Yeah, very good. <laughs> like Paul, it's but Paul with, with an R. R. Here you go. I got you to keep that one. It's very simple. It's roll. <laughs> roll. My mouth does not make that noise. Roll. It's roll. not Raul. It's roll. I know it's not Raul, but it's I can't say Raul. Raul. How can you not say like Paul? You just Paul, don't close roll. your mouth. You just make an R sound and go roll. It just sounds wrong in my brain. It. it makes my mouth not want to do it. Putting the R in that place in my mouth is really hard for me. Good to know. Thank you. This is linguistics with Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> I do you like linguistics? Uh, anyway, so 
trying to make Endymion and Ania not be creepy when they're swimming together naked was a feat well, that he Endymion was trying to accomplish. Well, is not naked, to be clear. Okay, Just, well, uh, Ania is, and it's is, like, he's yeah. very, very clear. They are not into each other, okay? They will be later, well, but they're not yeah. now. Yeah, and I, we'll get to that too in this episode. <laughs> so they swim together, they talk about stuff. She's kind of an adult, but still a kid because she gets teary-eyed. Mm-hmm. They're looking for an architect. Yes, because she, she wants to find her, her divine yeah. job is to be an Destiny. architect. <laughs> yep, and so she's and not a metaphorical architect, a literal architect. Yeah, she is literally supposed to be an architect as her as as the chosen one. <laughs> Do you know? Remember where she said they're going to find the architect? Uh, along the river Tephys. Tethys, right, Tethys. from mythology. Tethys. Yeah, sure, that. And uh, we're a little confused about how that's flowing, considering none of the portals are open, Ooh. but did oh, we learn boy. more? we'll get into that, too. Yay, great. And so she's, they're, like, searching. I don't searching. think we'll get into the answers, Danielle. We're getting to more questions. That's okay. They're searching along the river because the architect is supposed to be somewhere along there. All right. So that's the That's very good, Danielle. That was I'm pretty good. i a few blanks. That, that was, was really, good. really good. <laughs> So I'm just going to throw in a few small blanks. So Father Captain DeSoya is in his Archangel ship, which goes super right, fast, right. with his three Swiss Guard companions. Mm-hmm. Only one of which is whose name is important is Gregorius, who's like the sergeant and the main guy. Anyway, they're waiting for them for party. They try to capture them. Ania bluffs them that she'll kill them all if they don't let her go. Right. So they do. And they follow her to Renaissance Vector. So as your point was, like, what's even the point if they can just follow them everywhere and get ahead of them? Right. So it's all like – Just constant yeah. bluffing. Yeah. So they get to – they follow the Renaissance Vector where DeSoya gets there again earlier and sets up with the rest of the fleet, this time trying to do like a big old capture. But Ania, again, sort of bluffs her way like she's, okay, I'll land. Just let me land my ship. And then she drifts the ship over the city and into the Farcaster portal on the river. The ship takes damage and they crash on some weird planet and that's where you leave no, they crash on some weird planet. They they travel a little bit on the planet. Right. So they go, uh, Rawl and Ania go exploring down river, trying to see if they can find the other end of the portal where they'll go to the next planet. And as they're out there, they get a call from, who's the other person with them? Don't know. You don't remember our favorite android? Baybetic. Abetic. Yes. The letter A. <laughs> as opposed to M. Endymion. You know, like Mr. Endymion. Abetic for android. Not be better. Yes. Yes. Not be better. <laughs> Not be best. A better. <laughs> Doing good with the names, except Ben to be in the name of the book. <laughs> or Ania or DeSoya. He did well one and a half names, let's be honest. Maybe three quarters of a name total. Let's be because you got like <laughs> Endymion, you didn't get Rawl, and you got Bedic, but not without some help. No, I just you said it was our favorite and- or android or whatever you said, and I uh, said, "Hey, Bedic." <laughs> you didn't remember he was there though. No, not at all. All right, so he had a call from a Bedic, and what does Bedic tell them? That so like, one other character in this book, Danielle. Trouble. <laughs> Why? Why might there be trouble? Uh, Why are the character in this book? Because it's a book. <laughs> Who's the other character in this book uh, that everyone loves? The Martin Salinas. No. He was in it, though. I said everyone loves this person. <laughs> I love Martin Salinas. He's one of no, my you favorite you hate, characters. You hated him in the last book. I mean, I hate him, but I like love to hate him. He's like, okay. like a lovable, hateable character. It's the Shrike, Danielle. Oh, yeah. It's a character, but it's more of a, I don't know, bigger <laughs> than a character. <laughs> a force of nature. A force of nature. <laughs> a force of plot. The Shrike. Sorry, the Shrike. I forgot that they the were- The Shrike they has were, showed up. Traveling. Standing on the beach. And they're going to road trip? Well, we're going to get to that. Yay, road trip. We return and resume this part as Rawl and Ania rush back to the ship because uh, Abedic's like, the Shrike is here and he just disappeared. Abedic is there. No, the Shrike is there to bring some road trip jams. Yes, he's, he's, got, he's brought the mixtape. So they rush back to the ship, but the Shrike is already gone. Apparently, it just stood around for like a second, warped into an otherwise inaccessible part of the ship, and then vanished. So... Yay, very climactic. So he just came, went into another part of the ship, and then left. Yeah, it did absolutely nothing. Did he take something from the other part of the ship? No. He just went there for funsies, used the bathroom? He went into, like, the uh, some part of the hyperdrive, I think, and then disappeared. He was like, mm. Hawking drive, sorry. Hanging out. To just checking up on things, like, yep, this is a ship, and then left. <laughs> I wonder what it feels like in here. Oh, okay, bye. <laughs> So, uh, Rawl asks if the Shrike has ever left Hyperion before, and Nia and Apex say they know there's no record of it. 
And Ania certainly hoped that the Shrike wouldn't leave Hyperion or couldn't. But are they on Hyperion now? No. So why is the Shrek there? The who? Why is the Shrike there? <laughs> Very different. <laughs> Very different characters. Can I imagine I'm really Equally terrified. tired? <laughs> Equal, equally powerful and terrified, but very different. I've had a rough several months, and I... Um... Haven't we all, Danielle? But we're back. We're going to do it. Why? The, that's the question, Danielle. Why did the Shrike appear there? How did it escape Hyperion? All answers that I do not have for you. Great. Looking forward to it. As a side note, we're all surprised the ship managed to measure the Shrike as weighing a little over a metric ton, which okay. is stupid. Because, as A. Benick points out, the Shrike is a nine-foot-tall, four-armed monster made of metal and who knows what else. It can be a bit heavy. He's 90 feet tall? Nine. Oh, I was like, whoa, that's way different than my brain. <laughs> no, nine-foot-tall, Danielle. <laughs> I thought I missed something. <laughs> no, but my point is, a nine-foot-tall metal monster can weigh a ton. I'm, I, that does not stretch credulity for me. But No, it doesn't. But Raw was all like, wow, that's really impressively dead. Like, No. Like, if I had a block of metal that was, like, nine foot tall, like, a meter square, it would be way more than a ton. Yeah. Anyway. He's probably made out of other stuff, too. Yeah. Super advanced magic technology. Point is, as we learn, the theme of this particular episode is that Rawl is a moron, I think. Oh, good. I mean, he's a hero, so. Hmm. <laughs> is he? <laughs> we'll get to this, too. <laughs> oh, Martin, what did you do? <laughs> So the ship has no clue where they are and will need six months to repair itself. Just reiterating that. Six months to repair itself? Yep. Well, that's a long time. It is. So since the flybikes were damaged in the crash, there were apparently flybikes on the ship. That's good to know. <laughs> are they going to be used later? Why did we need to nope. know that? <laughs> we just need to know that they were there and we can't use them because they're broken. Okay. So he introduced nobody, a solution okay. and immediately no, broke it. Nobody is like, well, what about the flybikes? <laughs> I swear. There, this, oh, the other theme of this chapter is how much I'm skipping over because it is useless information that is – I have thoughts later. I'll get into it. So many thoughts later. But for now, this is a sample of the kind of inanity <laughs> and useless detail that is given. And let's say useless later. I, one of my favorite things about Mr. Simmons here is that he loves to introduce information that has absolutely Nothing. no bearing on anything. And it's just like, in case you were wondering if there was another way they could have traveled, it was damaged. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Even exactly. though nobody was wondering that. <laughs> And like, I'm all for, like, world building and verisimilitude and making things more realistic. But, like, you have to know when to edit things for the sake of brevity and story and pacing. Nope. He and his editor okay. were on the same page. Do you assume he had an editor, Daniel? I think he was his own editor. Yeah, I either think he didn't have an editor or he edited himself or he and his editor were, like, best friends. That'd be so cute. Or maybe <laughs> the editor like, no, just, but... like, gave up and was like, whatever, Dan, you do you. Best friends, like... <laughs> Dan, I can't wait to read the next chapter. It's all perfect. It's amazing. Don't <laughs> yeah. change a thing. You're my it's just favorite. just some friend that you're having a, like, edit, quote unquote. It'd be so, that'd be so cute. I would love that. That'd be adorable. <laughs> it's like I already did real well with Hyperion, so whatevs. I don't need to uh, edit the rest of these. They'll be fine. You read one of those Hyperion books. You tell me how much needed to be edited out. That was uh, Hyperion 2, Strike Boogaloo. The fall of Hyperion. <laughs> yeah, Hyperion 2. <laughs> Sure. What do you want from me, Sam? They're a never ending. <laughs> How do you think I feel, Danielle? <laughs> we haven't gotten like more than two pages in, have we? Right, this is my second paragraph. Perfect. Continue. <laughs> Stop talking. <laughs> no, you're, I'm going to need you on this one, Danielle. I'm already mad about this. <laughs> so since so the flybacks are damaged in the crash, they can't take those downriver. So Ania suggests that the next day they build a raft from the trees, which he insists on calling gymnosperms continuously. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so they, they go down just below the waterfall that they found while they were looking out earlier, and they build a raft down there and basically huck fin it down the river. Hey, that's fun. Yeah. That night, they camp out on the beach. A. Bedic keeps watch as he needs very little sleep as an android, so apparently androids have all kinds of superpowers we'll learn about later, like he can hold his breath a bit longer than people and his skin can act like a pressure suit briefly that keeps him from dying in thin atmospheres for a short amount of time. So they're like superheroes, which is cool. Sure, sure, sure. So A. Bedic keeps watch, and Ania asks Rawl to tell ghost stories around the fire, which he refuses to do because he's lame. <laughs> he's just like, no ghost stories for you, little child woman. Basically. <laughs> 
He's like, no ghost stories. He's like, fine, and goes to sleep. And he watches her fall asleep and says, or you know, narrate, I quote, I think it was on this alien and storm-tossed night that I first understood what it might be like to be a parent. No. And I will remind you no. that he and Mia are destined to be lovers. <laughs> and the narrator, so which is future, maybe present, Rawl, he knows that they are lovers. And he is yet including this particular line why? Uh, why? Why so is he? No. Why is Simmons doing this to? He didn't need to make this whole like paternal relationship to lovers thing happen. Like he could just have them be lovers later, or like her being an adult now, or you know, maybe he doesn't have paternal feelings for her. Maybe he's just like doesn't feel anything towards her. I don't know. But is there a reason is, she's a child? Like, does did add anything to the story? I think I don't know. But I'm just basically off of, like, the standard trope of, like, children representing innocence, children representing, right. you know, the future and the continuation of humanity and potential and all that kind of things that children represent. But she's also supposed to be, like, this special child, like, the whole special child trope about, like, the magic child right. is a big thing. So I think there's that to it, too. But, like, the Matrix didn't need a magic child. Neo was the one. <laughs> he wasn't a child. And it worked fine, guys. Or it could have been an older child, 16, 17, still child, but, like, at least bordering yeah. on adulthood. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, just not have him know they were going to become lovers and not make that a thing until it was later. And he was surprised. And it was, like, a whole, like, this is a new person to him. Sure. But, no. They, he has to have a paternal relation to her now. And I hate it. <laughs> It's totally fair. All right. So anyway, the next day they gather provisions and Rawl finds a cargo vest that Ania immediately puts on because fashion. And it reminded <laughs> me that he made a big deal about bringing and packing that tricorn hat and it hasn't been brought up <laughs> since. And I'll be very upset if that tricorn hat does not make a reappearance. I love the idea that you're reading this novel. She puts on a little vest and you're like, tricorn hat. <laughs> That's exactly like- what I thought. I- I read this. I'm like, oh, he found a vest to go with his hat. And then she takes him like, oh, but wait a minute. Where's the hat going to go? <laughs> mad you are about this hat. Well, it's like you and the fly bike. You said, I think the hat actually matters. <laughs> like, why does it exist? Exactly. So I'm searching his supplies. Rawl is disappointed that he can't find the emergency raft listed in the ship's supplies. Like, it's not there. So you have to build one. I assume the Shrike took it when he yes. went into the... <laughs> no. No, the Shrike was did absolutely nothing because he's the not ship gonna mentions, come on his own raft that he stole to like come visit with them. Nope. The ship mentions that it has a vague memory of the console floating away down a river, but one where the stars could be seen shining from below the river, which is obviously like an ouster space colony thing that like they talked about in the previous sure, book. Sure. So the console floated away down an ouster colony on the raft and are the ousters that's why in they don't this have book? It. I like the ousters. Not yet. Do they come in later? I don't remember. I mean I th- I'm 100% certain the ousters reappear in this story. I don't know if it's this book or the next one. Okay. Anyway, they get all the supplies to just below the waterfall, and the ship agrees to bury itself in the riverbed underwater to hide and repair itself until they return for it. The ship can move on its own? Yeah. I mean, it still can fly around and move a little bit. It's not like it's completely destroyed. It's like it a just is not dog. like. <laughs> you can like wiggle its way into the river, apparently. Oh, cute. So then Rawl asks if the ship will leak underwater, which is moronic since it's a spaceship. <laughs> which the ship reminds Rawl that he's like, I'm a spaceship. If I would leak underwater, I could not go into space. <laughs> and again, I'm really beginning to doubt Rawl's competence. Well, did he have any background on anything? I mean, again, Daniel, I don't, this is about like, critical thinking skills. You don't need to be a spaceship engineer to realize that a spaceship can't leak in space and also then leak underwater. I, I'm with you. I'm just curious if he had any kind of educational training in his uh, dystopian like future. fairly familiar with basic concepts like air. Okay. So. Well, then it's on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they spend the rest of the day chopping trees and building the raft, and Rawl speculates on how the pleasure craft that used to tour the River Tethys could deal with the waterfall. And maybe they're not actually on the River Tethys, but these portals are ones that were built by the Technocore that weren't originally part of the River Tethys, but took them to some place that's not, like, on the original river. And Nia says she's, like, thought of that, but, you know, there's no way to know, and maybe that the river shifted over time... Or that there were locks or some other way that the ships could, like, hover their way down the waterfall. So who knows? So they think that they... Uh... There's nothing conclusive here. They're just speculating wildly about nothing. No, but the original that they built other portals? What? No. So... <laughs> 
So Rawl is like, hey, there's a waterfall on the river, and a pleasure craft couldn't, like, go over a waterfall without crashing. Right. Like, you wouldn't have a waterfall on your, you know, sedate cruise. So maybe these are not... The original... Portals. Yeah, these are ones that the AI built. Like, maybe they built more portals that were never part of the original River Tethys. And they and then we're on one of these new worlds. Okay, sure. But, the, but in the end, better like, yeah, maybe. Or maybe they were just like the river change in the last 300 years. Or, you know, maybe they have a technological way of solving this problem that we don't know about because they had flying spaceships. So who Can knows? You, could you see the portals before? Are they like physical... Yeah, they're giant Things. like arches. Think of like I, I imagine like the the arch in St. Louis. Sure. So and then you go under them and they open up like a giant portal. In the, but in are the there, is the river still flowing through giant arches? Yes, but they're not on. Right. So we'll get to this. So if the river I migrated, don't, I don't know. why would there still be arches over the river? Like maybe in the middle of the river. Like there's been like a couple hundred kilometers between the. Okay. Sure. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, it's I got stuck on it. <laughs> These are not the details that matter, know, but Simmons you includes know, them. You know, <laughs> but Simmons includes them anyway. So Just here we are, to Daniel. Annoy me. <laughs> I know. By the evening, they're ready to set off down the river, figuring if they run into any issues on other plants, like hey, maybe more waterfalls. They'll figure it out then. As they float down river, a massive storm kicks up with lightning and giant waves whipped up by the wind. They huddle on a makeshift shelter they built from the tent on the raft and hold onto their gear as best they can until Aeneas starts yelling, Yee-haw! And then Rawl and Abedic join in. They're all shouting, Yee-haw! as they ride the waves. Fun. He loves to add weird details like that. It's so weird. By the morning, the storm clears up. So that was just an excuse to get them all yelling, yeehaw. <laughs> like, there was no reason for the storm. They didn't even lose any, like, provisions that mattered. Like, <laughs> they lost, like, one thing of rations. Like, nah, it's a fine. We're fine. It doesn't matter. What if there was a storm that did nothing? That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to put it in. <laughs> so Roll finally pulls his tricorn cap from his pocket, so I am vindicated. Yay! Which may have been a good head covering to wear during the storm, but what do I know? <laughs> no, but it's going to get filled with water. But it has like the little cutout so it can drain. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> right? Does it have like the folds and like the corners so it can drain out the corners? Would he Would he be afraid it was going to get lost in the storm? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I think I'd rather have something covering my head than nothing. I suppose. When he puts it on, Ania rightly laughs at him. And so, <laughs> Says you know. the girl in the weird cargo vest. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, her fashion sense is not any better. <laughs> As they round a bend in the river, the arch for the Farcaster looms into view. They approach, and as before, just as they are about to enter it, it crackles to life and they zip through the portal. Ooh, mysterious. They find themselves on a massive ocean, as far as the eye can see. It's night, and three massive orange moons are rising into the sky. Is it the toilet ocean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> After checking with the comm log bracelet that has a copy of the ship's memory bank, Abedic concludes they're on. Do you remember the name of this planet? The Toilet Planet. <laughs> it's very obvious what the planet of Infinite Ocean is called. Uh, something C, Mar. Uh, yes. What? Yeah, forget the first part, right? C, Mar? Yeah, Mar. Yeah. Marland? <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's Mare. Mare Infinitus. Mare Infinitus. Oh, it's Spanish yeah. instead of Latin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is a packed world these days, of course. Aenea distantly watches the massive moons rise, while Abedic exposits that actually, Marifanitis is the moon of a Jovian-sized planet. Rawl also brought a book, A Traveler's Guide to the Vertethis, which states that Marifanitis' portion is a brief interlude between the more recreation-oriented parts of the river. Where did he get that from? He brought it from the ship's library. Did he know he was going to the river? Yes, they talked about this when, remember, there were long interludes no. of travel. I mean, yes, I remember there were over. long interludes of travel. I do not yeah. remember what they talked about. This is one of the things they talked about he picked up this book perfect i did i think i mentioned that i don't remember but anyway i'm not sure i buy crossing part of an ocean as still being part of a river so i'm not sure how that works and so here's why i got hung up on the portals in the rivers because <laughs> i thought the water from the river ran through the portals in each segment of the river tethys like you know, it ran when you would fall it down river like there's a one giant river connected by the portals right and i might be mistaken and you read this book too so you can back me up but i thought the end of the last book of the fall of hyperion when the far casters were destroyed it caused like the river to flood or or something happened to it so how does the ocean work with the whole like river current thing like the water flows into the ocean and then the ocean just flows back into the river like that doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> magic <laughs> or maybe the water just flows like through the portals and 
like through the arches, but not through the port. Like the water doesn't get transported, just the people. Maybe that's how it works. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. I hate this river. But then how would the currents run if it's... Because the river just runs like a normal river. You're just teleporting to a part of the river. Like you're, you're teleporting in the middle of the river. But then there's oceans in the middle of it for funsies? Well, it's just, no, you're just teleporting in the middle of the ocean and then you teleport out of the ocean back onto the river. Sure. Another river on another planet or something. Sure. But that's not what I remember happening in the end of the Fall of Hyperion when the Farcaster was destroyed. So maybe I need to go back and reread that, which I will not do. <laughs> but I think it's cute that you thought I would remember what happened to the river. Well, I figured if there's one thing you remember on this, it would be the book you read. <laughs> that's funny. Anyway, despite what the book says about Manfinitis section being short, the guidebook, they have no view of the portal that they're supposed to see about five kilometers away and no idea where to go. It's a giant ocean after all. Yeah, that seems like a terrible way to travel. So Ania then claims she can tell Roll is enjoying this and he admits it's because it's an adventure, but no one's gotten hurt. Which, what? <laughs> did he not see what the Shrike did at the time tomb when he massacred all those okay, He you means know, none soldiers? of them have gotten hurt. <laughs> Not the actual human beings, not the NPCs <laughs> as he views other people. <laughs> None of the main characters in the book have gotten hurt, Sam. <laughs> None of the three people on this raft have been hurt, so it's a good adventure. Like, everyone else, screw them. Like, no, you're not a good... What a moron. <laughs> but also, he likes camping and being outdoors. So when he decides, this is the perfect time to get into some of the philosophy of her father's poetry. Is it? Is it? Yes. Perfect time. Yeah, apparently it is. Because I had just been thinking that we had surprising little poetry in this book, so because I guess it's my own enough fault. Keats. <laughs> she actually clarifies that it was actually the pre-Higira poet that my father Cybert was cloned from, of course, but my father's sensibilities were in the poem, so she still refers to us as her father's poem anyway. She I don't understand the father thing, because she seems to think they're all her fathers, so... She understands. Like, she calls the other Keats hybrid Severin, like, her uncle at one point. So she gets it, but all she's like, they're also all the same person anyway, because they're like... She finds the Keatses to be fungible, essentially. Yes, yes, she does. So she states that her father thought the first stage of human happiness was fellowship with essence, which is like art and nature and stuff. Mm-hmm. She states that the second level was friendship between humans, and the highest level was love. And when Rawl asks about, like, the general concept of love, like, quote, the love of Christ or the love of our fellow humans, Ania is clear that she means romantic and sexual love. Yeah, sure. Of course. Why not? Screw the other loves. <laughs> You're right. They don't matter as much. I think they may be classified under friendship. So Rawl then asks her, a 12-year-old girl, if she thinks her father was onto something about sexual love being the highest, like, order I'm of sure happiness. I'm sure she's very aware of that in her 12 years on Earth. Well, not Earth. Right. Not her Hyperion. <laughs> The tombs floating through space. I don't know. Time travel to the tombs. Her response is, quote, I think there are more levels on heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt no. of in my father's philosophy. <laughs> Which is a quote that means nothing to Rawl and is pointless. Oh, gosh. She concludes by saying that her father stopped his levels of happiness before he got to the real essence, which is, quote, the meaning of all motions, shapes and sounds, all form and substances, straight homeward to their symbol essences. I literally just tuned out like half of what you said. Yeah. <laughs> My brain was like, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> do you need me to repeat that? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> she said, quote, the meaning of all motions, shapes and sounds, all forms and substances, straight homeward to their symbol essences. No. <laughs> and Rawl narrates, quote, why were those words so familiar? It took me a while to remember. End scene. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, because I cared, I took the effort of you like Google searching it. for, yeah. And I found that this, I, oh boy, boy what, it's a poem. Is you not surprised? Yeah, go figure. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> it's, a poem that, it's a poem that Martin Salinas recited earlier. Maybe it was passed off as an original poem, but guess how I found this poem? Uh, via Keats.com. Close. All Keats, everywhere, Keats.com. Yep. I found a fan site of Martin Salinas. <laughs> Keats all the way down, com. No. Which we should open up as a website. Keats all the way down, dot com. Sure. Get right on that. That's $15 a year well spent on a domain. <laughs> totally worth it. Hey, if you want to support our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what we're gonna buy with it. We're gonna buy heatsallthewaydown.com. No one will ever buy it. Give us money for that day. They'll take money away from us for that. 
And I would give us money for that if I listened to us. Anyway, the point is, this is a site where someone's collected all the poetry Martin recites. That's amazing. Good job, person. (laughs) He's like, Hyperion on page 16. Here's a little poem. Hyperion on page 25. And Dimmy on page, like, 160. Love that. Love that so much. Good use of time, 100%. I'm here for it. These are supposedly, I mean, I assume they were, like, supposed to be original poems, but they're all, like, Keats or Chaucer poems, actually. (laughs) None of them are actually original to Mr. Simmons, I believe. That's impressive. So. Ooh, does that mean that uh, he was just, like, taking other people's poetry and just assuming nobody in the New World would know that? Salinas? No. I think maybe Simmons was, like, I'm going to make him, like, a vessel for Keats or whatever. Mm, I like the idea that he was just, like, stealing other people's poetry the entire time. It was just, like, nobody will know. (laughs) (laughs) The point is, is that Ania recites this poem that was spoken by Martin Salinas to Endymion earlier in the book. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And I'm like, I do not remember that. <laughs> and you know, to be fair, maybe if I had been reading this in like a week or two, like normal stuff spreading out for months and months, I may have recalled that it was a poem. But I don't think I would have. I don't think I would remember that. I'm sorry. There's so much poetry in this. You'd have to be really kind of paying attention. Yeah, and I'm not. <laughs> Skimming the poems. Anyway, I love the Martin Salinas poetry site and i will send that to you later to enjoy excellent i'm very excited about this so they float around for a bit the suns rise yes there's two of them it's a binary star system because why not yeah why not that's the kind of details i need for my book mr simmons (laughs) oh you're gonna love later then it gets very hot so they just float around hoping the ocean current is taking them in the right direction all right it'll take us the right place sure so the next, like, five pages are just raw going over in detail every gun he brought and then test firing all of them (laughs) That's the kind of detail we don't need, Mr. Simmons. And I, I like, I do not care at all about the gun porn in this book. It's like the most boring thing. Like, nobody cares. Move on. Get back to the weird stuff. <laughs> so we do learn that the forty-five caliber revolver he brought is actually probably not Bron Lamia's, as he had first assumed. Oh, so that whole speculation he had earlier in the ship while they were traveling was pointless. <laughs> It was unneeded. Finally, Rawl has the bright idea that maybe they should, like, do some scouting and see if they can find the portal so not just fooling around blindly. Good. Good idea. Yeah. First good idea he's had all chapter. So he and Nia, they get on the hawking mat, and they go have a look around. They fly super high up and bring up binoculars to look around. And while up there, Rawl asks Nia if she thinks there's any reason, like any rhyme or reason to the order of the planets they're being sent to through the River Tethys journey. Yes. And Nia says she thinks there is, but does not elaborate. I think there is, but there's also a, like, I'm going to say 12% chance that it's completely random because that's how he writes. <laughs> I think there's an 80% chance that it's not random, but we never learn what the pattern is. <laughs> I think that's also correct. You can add that on to my uh, 12%. <laughs> so there's only an 8% chance we learn what the purpose of this journey is and, like, what the order means. Great. That seems accurate. <laughs> okay. So instead of, like, going to detail about this pattern, she reminds us, the audience, by way of asking Rawl what he knows about the Farcasters and how they work. So it's like, hey, guys, let me tell you what happened in the last book, just to remind you. <laughs> audience surrogate. So here we go. What he knows is that the AIs built the Farcasters to use human brains as computers, so when they use the portals, they, like, parasite their brains and, like, steal computational power from them. Sure, sure. She talks about the three AI factions. Do you remember what those are, Danielle? The... Oh, they're so close to my brain. I'll give you a hint. Horses. Equestrian. (laughs) Horses live in? Fields and barns. No. (laughs) I mean, yes, but where do they keep, where do you keep a horse? In a stall. (laughs) How are you not getting this word? Let's never play taboo. You'll never, (laughs) it'll never work. (laughs) Those are all good answers. The answer is stable, Danielle. Stable. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, a better, it's a better answer, right? It is. <laughs> yeah. So there are the Maybe stables. Maybe something bigger than a stall. It's just my brain wasn't getting there. So you got, you got the stables and... The uh, violent ones. Opposite of stable. Instable. Unstable. Unstable would be the word. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's the volatiles. Oh, volatile. I, I was like, it starts with a V. <laughs> I remember what the last one is called. You should know this one. Volat- okay, so volatiles, stables, and the, the medium ones. The ultimates. Ultimates. You know what? Confu- I think the reason that those confuse me <laughs> is because I have an immediate flashback to the gods themselves. Oh. Uh, and I like get this like weird trilogy thing going on in my head where I'm like, what were they called? <laughs> like, the hard ones and the soft ones. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's that whole thing. And so it like, really throws me off because I'm like, wait, it's I, they merged in my brain. It's a real problem. 
problem. That was literally like two years ago, three years ago. I know, but it's just like it's immediately where my brain goes. Is is so impressive. You can remember that, but you can't remember the book we read. It's a lot of Hyperion. There was only one Asimov. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Anyway, so the stables have also the ultimate and that the River Tethys forecasts were actually not using human brains for computers since they were built by the ultimate as an experiment with the void which binds. Mm-hmm. So again, this seems to be recapping most of the last book about how all the planetary data spheres are connected to the megasphere through the void which binds. The megasphere existed on a subplane of the fat line, apparently. Sure. Why not? Also, that the last message from the previous book where, like, it's like, hey, get off the fat line, you, you know, mm-hmm. this channel is closed until you learn how to use it properly. No more fat line squirts for you. Yeah, so at the, the end of the last book, we're kicking them off the Woe's Binds and shutting down the fat line was not a message sent by the AIs, but by something different, which Ania's father, or uncle, as she corrects herself, because this was Sever and not Johnny, referred to those creatures as lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Yeah, exactly right. Because they never they sing yes. the Wizard of Yes, Oslo. I do quite remember that. Mm. Mm-hmm. They then go back to the raft, not having found the Farcaster portal and having accomplished nothing but this conversation. So... Thank you for that. That was helpful. Helpful to remind you what happened in the last book, I suppose. I appreciate that. For all listeners out there, if you're curious what happened in the last book. Just go back and listen to the previous episodes. (laughs) It's not quicker than reading the book, but it's a lot more fun. It's quicker than reading the book, for sure. All our previous episodes? I mean, it's like, what, six hours of Hyperion per... Six to eight hours of Hyperion per... How long did it take you? It did not take me eight hours to read Hyperion I, I guess it's about longer, but I think it's more intelligible. Yes. Ours. You meant our podcast episodes are yeah, more intelligible. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> Much be easier clear. to understand. Because you know, I'm, I'm assuming you have to read Hyperion like two or three times to understand it. At least. Probably yeah, more. Yeah, so I going to triple your time right there. Yeah. <laughs> I would just ask you. So... Later that night, they see lights on the horizon. It's an ocean platform, like for sport fishing. Possibly PAX-controlled, they don't know. And gosh, wouldn't you know it? Just past the platform is the Farcaster Arch. Oh, good. So glad they drifted in the right direction. Well, I mean, it's the only way to traverse these places is to just drift. Because otherwise, how would you ever get to the next Farcaster portal if you were just drifting? I mean, I'm assuming they had a boat with a motor that could, like, propel itself in the right direction. But you'd have to know which the direction is. Again, they were supposed to be able to very close together, only five kilometers apart. And, you know, I assume a boat has navigational tools like GPS and, you know, compasses. You just type in your two portal and it, like, Google Maps you there? I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, people are, it's just like spaceship technology. They know how to, like, travel from point A to point B. How serious? They can do that today. <laughs> so how is, like, hundreds and thousands of years in the future, is that not something that makes, like, super easy to do? Yeah, totally. Like, this is not difficult to figure out how to navigate the ocean. We can do that. And we're not spacefaring civilizations. I just like the idea that these portals just drop you in the middle of the ocean. And they're like, good luck out there. <laughs> That's not what happens. <laughs> It's up to these guys because they're on a raft made of logs. <laughs> so they figure they'll have to sneak by the platform because they'll have a very hard time explaining to the people on the platform, like, hey, do you want us to rescue us? Like, no, we don't need rescuing. Just let us go about our raft. <laughs> like, that's not going to make any sense to them. Even if they're not, like, a PAX patrol looking for them, it's going to be very suspicious. It will be. True. So Raw decides to take the hawking mat and some explosives to sneak onto the platform, look around, and maybe blow up some skimmers or something to cause the distraction if necessary while the raft flows past. Creating a diversion. Love it. Pretty much. So as he gets on the mat to go, take a look, and he expresses concern, like, you know, be careful, that kind of thing. So he touches her on the shoulder and feels the contact like an electric jolt. Ew. An effect he'd felt when they had touched before, but not, he stresses, a sexual jolt. <laughs> He could just not have any of these things happening, and I don't think it'd be worse for wear for this book. I That's my point. Like, <laughs> Though, of course, it will be sexual. We know it's going to happen. I still don't know why Simmons did this to himself <laughs> by writing it. Like, you, did, you, said, you should not include any of this. You could have not mentioned it. They could not have electric jolt touching while she's a child. Like, <laughs> I could just not be a part of the story. But no, he has to do that. And then like, but no, no, it's definitely not sexual. It's like something deeper than that. Or like, I don't know. Why? Why are you making this so complicated on yourself? <laughs> Just static electricity. Or, yeah, he's like, oh, it was just my sweater was getting <laughs> static. <laughs> he thinks it's fate, but it's just because he has a pussy sweater on. It's that stupid cargo vest. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, cargo, yeah, nylon cargo vest, very staticky. <laughs> 
Anyway, Rawls seeks out the platform, he plants some charges on skimmers, then goes to peek in the window, see if he can figure out who these people are, because he doesn't want to use the explosives if they're like families or just civilians here and not a PAX presence. Where did Abedic go again? He's on the raft with them. But you just haven't mentioned him in like 200 miles? <laughs> I mentioned him a lot, Daniel. I mentioned he was yelling yee with them. I mentioned he's the one who concluded they were on Marinfinitis. Yeah, I skipped the Marinfinitis part, but I did remember the yee that you say that. Yeah, so, you know, Just feels attention. like it's very focused on them, which, to be fair, it's their he story. He very little. Now, he's mostly there, again, for info dumping at this point. Okay. So he sees the mess hall with only men, but as he rounds a corner, he bumps into some PAX troops. Uh oh. They assume he's with one of the fishing groups, like the sport fishing groups, and that he should be inside since there's a curfew. They escort him off to a barracks. Uh oh. That's bad too. Cut to everyone's favorite, Father Captain Federico de Soya. Yay, Father Captain. They've been searching for some clue of Aenea for 63 days and visited eight systems. So they've been drifting for like. No. They've been on the road for like two days. We've jumped ahead two months. One days. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. We've jumped ahead 61 days. Okay, sure. But we're going to jump back again immediately. So, waste of time. <laughs> so, they've been searching for a neighbor 63 days, visited eight systems, and the constant deaths and resurrections are wearing on him and his three Swiss Guard companions. Yeah, that would suck. Dying and being resurrected constantly every few days sucks. DeSoya no longer dreams of Aenea or his sister like he was doing back in Renaissance Vector, but of Armageddon, of burning orbital forests and worlds of flame. That sounds dramatic. So remember how I said they visited eight worlds? Let's go through all of them in great detail. Let's right now. not. <laughs> well, too bad. That's what the next 40, 50 pages of this book is. <laughs> <laughs> Can you summarize it in like 40 to 50 seconds? Nope, but it's going to be a few minutes. Remember how like we know, we know for a fact they visited eight systems without finding Nia. So we're going to spend these pages discussing eight complete failures of finding somebody. That's wild. It's amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> this is such a, such a decision. Like this book. Okay. I think it might be a good time for me to talk about why... I have skimmed, like, I've cut out so much of this book. And I don't know if it's because it's the first-person narrative that makes it so, like, in Rawl's head, which is not a very interesting place to be, honestly, <laughs> or, like, what, but there seems to be so little plot in this book and so much, like, unnecessary world-building and detail. It just feels like it's trying to be more a feeling than a story, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. it does. So... That's what all this is, I suppose. So the first world they visited was Tau Seti Center. And this part of the book is basically remind you of all the important plans from the previous books and how they all ended up joining or being controlled by the Pax. So TC Squared basically went through a 30-year famine when the Farcasters collapsed since they imported all their food and had no agriculture. There's a lot here about the Archbishop of TC Squared being a very powerful and engaging political jousting with the Pope even, but none of it really matters, I think. Like, I don't think it ever comes back again, <laughs> maybe, so I'm just going to skip maybe, it. Maybe not. <laughs> There's like seven pages of them talking about like the archbishop's politics. I just do not think it matters. I, I can't tell you if it matters or not. I feel like it, it's a toss up. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing. If, if it is, mea culpa. <laughs> anyway, due to these politics, they're delayed on TC Squared from the three days they expected to take visiting East Plant over eight days. They post guards on the inactive forecast portals on the River Tethys and tell them to, like, alert them if anything happens. So, good. Also, some of the Swiss guards are laid up with an illness for a day or two, some that seems to be caused by the constant resurrections, which may be an issue later or may not be. So, here we go. I hope it's not, because it's always funnier when it's not. So, they warp to Heaven's Gate next, which, if you remember, remember what Heaven's Gate is, Danielle? The one that wasn't really heavenly. That's true. You remember what important thing happened on Heaven's Did Gate? Did it load up? Well, it did, actually, but that was at the end of the book, but way before that. Is that the slave planet or whatever? The Kinda. servant planet? Yes, that's the more Martin wanted mm -hmm. to be a poet. <laughs> Where he got it, he got his concussion or whatever and then had to... Yeah, I can only talk in yeah, swears. Yeah, had to relearn how to be a writer and toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. There if you're you interested in that, so feel free to listen to our <laughs> episode. If that sounds like utter nonsense to you. <laughs> Martin Salinas learned to be a poet on toilet paper because of a concussion. It doesn't sound interesting. I don't no, know what to tell you. it wasn't a concussion. It was like cryo <laughs> disease, like a cryostasis disease. basically an overinflated concussion. Okay, brain damage. Sure. Yeah, it was brain damage for sure. Oh, fun. Those were easier times with easier plots, Sam. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the plan, the 
sequence of visits to different planets that are laid out by the ship to show you notices will take them closer and closer to Earth for a time, like to the old Earth system where Earth was before the big before mistake. Before they drove Earth into space. No, well, before honk, honk. the... <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Before the AIs the, the stole it, basically, and, and, and screwed it away to the Hercules cluster. It doesn't make it better if you say it in different words. <laughs> nope. I just want you to say honk, honk again. the Earth into space. <laughs> with the moon, everyone thinks it was destroyed. Just, like, took the whole solar system, but like no, the moon's still there. The moon was left behind. Somehow, <laughs> somehow the moon was left behind. But the Earth vanished. I don't know how that works. Oh gosh! Because without the Earth orbit around, where would the moon go? <laughs> I'll never get over how many sci-fi books want to drive planets into space. It's wild. I mean, I thought it was zero, honestly. If you asked but me that several. question earlier, there's not even just one. There's multiple. <laughs> We got the what's the what's the other one? I don't yeah, remember the other one that the, does it. That's themselves. Was glad- that was the second one. There's two we've got. I apparently there's what's a the third, third one. one what's the third one? That's what I'm trying to get mm, at. There's a third one. Listeners, what was the third story that we had <laughs> that tried to draw, uh, to send a like a planet or the was moon it your, into space? Or was it your uh, other Halle Berry one? Was did that? It yes, <laughs> it was. It was. It was Moonfall. moonfall. It was the Moonfall. Moonfall also was driving nice. moons into space. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So yep. many nailed it. <laughs> yeah, oh. that I remember. Endymion. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there's not a lot of plot. You got the feeling in the book. I think it's just not the plot because there isn't much. Anyway, so Desoya thinks wistfully that one day he'd like to visit the old Earth system, even though like. It's nothing but like Mars and the moon, which are backwaters now, but just a sort of visit to like as a pilgrimage, I guess, to the home system of humanity. Sure. But alas, it's not to <laughs> oh, be for him. Day. So they have to spend eight days also on Heaven's Gate since the planet was destroyed during the Ouster invasion. And pause. So if you recall from the last book, the Ouster invasion was fake. It was the AIs pretending to be the Ousters right. invading, right? So my question is, because – there's a meta narrative here where Rawl is in his space coffin writing this whole story, mm, that's right. Mm-hmm. right? Even the parts that aren't about him, he's like, I know those parts too, and I'll tell you about that later. So he is writing; these are his words. He is writing, and he chooses to write about his weird sexual tension yeah, with a child. He's locked in a box. So he can just say whatever he wants now. That's my. That's the point I'm putting out there. But returning to this weird part. So that was fake ousters, but the book, the story here treats them like the re- real ousters. So is it that Rawl doesn't know that the ousters? Were actually the AI in that instance, or does DeSoya not know? Because I thought they all knew about the betrayal of the AIs. That's like what made the 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 church turn against AIs and cast them out as evil and Did demons. Did it specifically say the ousters caused it? They said it was the ouster invasion. Hmm, it didn't say the fake ouster invasion. It said the ouster invasion. But the only ouster invasion I remember is the fake that's one. Weird. So I am very. I don't know. Maybe Dan Simmons forgot <laughs> about what was real. What was fake? I mean, in to be book. fair, that is a lot to remember. Regardless of whether they're real or fake ousters, that destruction caused the Farcaster arches to be buried in the toxic mud. So the Soya has the arches excavated and like put in you know bubbles of atmosphere so that if Ania comes through them, she won't die immediately and they oh, can capture that's her. Kind of him. And so he sets a guard up on there to let them know, and then they leave. Next, they go to System NGC Superscript ES2692. The numbers are not Superscript. (laughs) Catchy. Look, if I had to read these names, Danielle, I'm going to share them with you. You're going to suffer with me. Yeah, I am. Trust me. There's one planet that supports life in this system. It's, I think, called NGC ES26926 with the Roman numeral Mm -hmm. 6. Sure, why not? The other numbers are in regular... Non-Roman numeral? Why? Yes, Why? <laughs> <laughs> because the system number is 2692. And then you, you order the planets, like the first planet would be Roman numeral 1. The second planet would be Roman numeral no, 2. So that's the number dumb. planet. Yep. So you don't confuse the planet number with the you system just number, put a dash Danielle. or something like everybody else. <laughs> Danielle, please. Dashes are expensive. <laughs> Roman numerals are cheap. <laughs> so dumb. Dumb. We don't have enough toner for all those I mean, dashes. I really think we should do it that way. I love a mix of random regular numbers and Roman numerals, but it shouldn't. And it, like superscript yeah, and subscript. Like, why not? But no. It's so unnecessarily confusing. Well, there you go. Here we are. So this planet is a jungle planet that the river was extended to for aesthetic reasons since no one really lived there except for like 
animals created from RNA seeding of the planet, whatever that means. Also, a minimum population of biologists and botanists and things like that that were living on the planet. And those people got trapped there when the Farcasters system failed. And so they did what humans do best, breed. Got it on. Yep, but their population was kept small because they were constantly being eaten by the wildlife they created. And there weren't a ton of them, So that's funny. That is sad, actually. Yeah, so they're not considered like part of the packs. They're just considered, you know, gone native, I think is the term he uses. Since there's no packs here or technology, really, he has no way of knowing if Aenea came through this way. And if they did, they would have just left. They could have just left on the ship without them being able to tell where they went or gone through the other portal. So, like, I don't really know what his plan is here. (laughs) <laughs> to do it anything about like this. It sounds like he's just hoping to get lucky. He is, Danielle, and you won't believe how lucky yeah, I he will, gets. because it's a book, and uh, I feel yeah. like he wrote himself to a corner, so at some point, they just have to, like, look out. Somebody's got to look out one way or another. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the Soya, to his Swiss guards, they, like, to ask him, like, hey, how do you know she's even on the river? She could have left on the ship. She could be literally anywhere. He's like, I have a feeling she's on the river, so we're going to keep searching the rivers. He just has a feeling about it. He's like, it. you know what? I think there's an architect somewhere along the way that she might yeah, want to see. Exactly. And and a feeling. Like, I, have, I have a feeling. <laughs> yep. I had a dream about an architect, so we'll go that way. So he, he laments that robotic arc angel ships would be able to have complete this whole mission in like eight days because they could just like zip from planet to planet without slowing down or waiting for the resurrection. But because the church hates everything AI, that's not an option. So he's stuck to do this task. Sounds like they have their own problems. Indeed. So he decides to search the river for any sign of a ship. And by chance, they find something buried in the mud below the river. Gregorius dives down to investigate and finds... What does he find, Danielle? He finds Martin Salinas. No. He finds the ship. He finds the wreck of a pleasure barge with a bunch of skeletons on board, including children, which they speculate they, like, got trapped and decided to, like, all commit suicide by scuttling the ship. Why would they do that? Because they realized they were trapped on this jungle planet with no hope of escape or survival. They could have just lived their lives like the botanists. Yeah, again... I don't know, Danielle, but that's what they're speculating. It's very sad. So they leave behind motion sensors to see if someone comes through the portal, which because there's no fat line squirts, like they won't get notified in any reasonable amount of time. So I'm not sure like, hey, six months ago, that motion still went off. We'll go back and check on that. Like because they don't have fashion like communication anymore because the fat line's down. So what's the plan here? What are the motion sensors going to do? Better than doing absolutely nothing. It's really not. (laughs) It's about equivalent to absolutely nothing, I would say, and uses more resources. That's true. Anyway, the next jump to Barnard's world. You remember Barnard's world? I remember the name. I do not remember anything about it. It is the home planet of everyone's favorite character from the first book. Barnard. No. Saul Weintraub. <laughs> I was like, who's my favorite character? You know what's him, right? <laughs> I did like Saul. I just thought he, I'd not necessarily my favorite character. Most likable character. Yeah, since the most empathetic. Yes. That's, I should be clear about it. I don't mean the best character, but like the one that, like, the one I'd most like I'd be stuck in a room with. Yes. <laughs> so Barnard's world has done very well for itself. It was an agricultural and intellectual world. So universities and farms. Which mm-hmm. is quite a combination. It is. Good job. And so weather the fall, all right. Again, no ship, no sign of the girl. So they next go to oh, System Last Sail 9352, maybe? Sure. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> Home to what had been known as Sibiatu's Bitterness, but had been renamed to Grace. Why not? <laughs> Why not? I got these facts, and you're going to learn the facts with me. <laughs> I expect you to recount all of this in our next summary. I'm going to do the exact same thing I did this time, which was like, uh, they were traveling on a river (laughs) or an ocean. (laughs) Except these people were. They're traveling through the Archangel ships and getting murdered and re-resurrected. Yeah, I won't remember this part. I will only remember that they road tripped on a raft. So this planet is toxic. It has a toxic atmosphere. So the river had been built under a clear perspex tunnel, which has since cracked open and has flooded the river with toxic gas and the river has evaporated off. So, uh uh-oh. Probably not there. Probably. hope not. So DeSoya knows he'll need to send troops back here from their next world with packs to keep an eye on this portal in case Aenea shows up. Why they did the jungle planet, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> but he's depressed about making people suffer like that and experiences some doubt. And honestly, like, I think DeSoya is unquestionably the most interesting character in this book because he actually has some, like, internal conflict and some, like, wrestling with his, you know, morality and it clearly has some growth. And Rolf's just kind of a big doofus. So, <laughs> I don't know. I just think I, I think it's really interesting how the character who is writing the story and who we get the first first perspective of is by far less interesting than DeSoya, who is, like, the most empathetic to me, I think. Why would 
they ever go to that planet. He doesn't know what, what their plan is. If they're in a spaceship, they could survive it pretty easily. I suppose. But he thinks they're traveling by the river, potentially. But maybe traveling down the river on the spaceship. Oh, okay. Sure. Like flying from portal to portal. He doesn't know. So as they prepare to leave again, Gregorius points out that some of the Tethys planets, 18, are actually controlled by the ousters these days, which will make visiting them pretty hard. DeSoya has no response. So he's just hoping for the best, hoping yeah, they're not much. going to an ouster planet? Yep. And you know, Gregorius like, they could already be with the ousters. They could have gotten there like day one. So this is day 30 or whatever. That's what she should have done. That would have been hilarious. It would have been great. The end. <laughs> the architect was on the ouster world. Who knew? So they next go to, quote, a space between Epsilon Iridani and Epsilon Indo called the Omicron Subscript 2, Epsilon Subscript 3 Eurasian Habitation Experiment. He just, like, put things into a bowl and, like, pulled them out. This is like, reach your hand to a bag of Scrabble tiles and put it on a random handful book. That's the name. Like, I'm not sure if generator, name generators were around back in the 90-whatever on, like, 96. basic internet. But, like, that's what it feels like he did. It's so good. He went to, like, planetnamegenerator.com and just, like... Omicron subscript out. 2, Epsilon subscript 2, Eurasian habitation experiment between Epsilon Iridani and Epsilon Indo. No. <laughs> Love it. So this was supposed to be a neo-Marxist utopia that, no surprise for this particular book, failed miserably and had been taken over first by the hegemony military and now the Pax military. It probably would have been fine in real life. Yeah, I mean, like, but Dan Simmons, personal politics aside. <laughs> <laughs> So no one had passed through there either, but some of the engineers that they have on the planet, I'm not sure, discover a flaw in the resurrection system on the ship, which they fix, and which Josiah hopes was responsible for how terrible they've been feeling from all the repeated resurrections. Ooh, you wouldn't want a resurrection issue on your ship. No. It feels like that shouldn't ever ever happen. And so, like, maybe that problem that we're talking about isn't a problem anymore, Danielle. It's just not. <laughs> I'm glad that was in the book. Yeah, me too. If it comes back again, <laughs> who knows? If not, I'm so glad it's there. So their next stop is, guess where? Uh, Hyperion. No, Mary Infinitus. Why are they <laughs> no. Hyperion? Hyperion's on the River Tethys. <laughs> I don't know what's on the River Tethys anymore, Sam. You know the Hyperion was never part of the web. Yeah, sure. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should know Hyperion was never part of the web. That was the whole thing. They couldn't bring it to the web because the AIs wanted to keep the Hyperion variable out of the hegemony. But then I'd have to like think really hard about everything, and that's harder than it should be. <laughs> I can't be responsible for your thought powers. Maybe if we did this uh, at a reasonable time of day. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. A reasonable time of day for who? Me? You're telling the story. It's easier to be animated and like think about things yeah. when you're telling but the story. Even when I'm not, Danielle. <laughs> I know it's rough. I'm sorry. I so I have no guff from you, young lady. <laughs> so at first, they again have no leads, but by chance, while touring the Farcaster arches, they pass by a platform which had been attacked by terrorists two months ago. Not uncommon on this planet, as there is a good-sized anti-Pax resistance of poachers and the like. Mm, mysterious. DeSoya insists on going to investigate anyway, and he starts by interrogating the platform director. The director indicates that a poacher had snuck on board, planted some explosives, and after they apprehended him, he escaped, pushing one of his captors overboard, where the captor was eaten by sharks. So, bye-bye, oh, one Pax soldier, eaten by sharks. And he was traveling with a 12-year-old, and they had some weird sexual tension. No, unfortunately, that is not mentioned, thankfully. Because <laughs> Royal is not narrating this portion directly. <laughs> we're, not, we're not inside his head. It wasn't sexual, I promise. <laughs> so the man then flew around on a flying machine of some kind and set off explosives so that he was shot down by the troops. And then the sharks apparently ate his body, too. And with a little bit they recovered, they buried at sea. These those are the details I want. <laughs> yeah. And there was no sign of anyone else on the flying device, so no girl, no bombs, nothing else, and no sign of the flying machine either. DeSoya is suspicious of the director and quickly determined that he had lied about the hockey map being lost, had actually stolen it to sell for quite a bit of money. DeSoya has him arrested and finds the mat in his office, full of holes from the flechette guns and covered in blood. DeSoya, however, seems to recognize the mat not only as the same thing used to help Ania escape the time tombs, but as the one from the heretical forbidden text of the Cantos. The forbidden texts. Forbidden texts. DeSoy is reinvigorated with the first clue he's had in months and tells Gregorius they have much work to do. He's like, oh, great. We found something from two months ago. We're hot on their tail. <laughs> exactly. Also, <laughs> Rawl is dead. He's been shot by Flechettes. He's dead. <laughs> the end. And if you believe that, I have a bridge to sell you. <laughs> 
also, we we know he's not dead because he's telling the damn story. <laughs> he's in a box later. Right. I mean, this is why, like, these kind of stories are like, you might be wondering how I got into the situation. Well, I mean, like, there's no suspense. Let me, like, no. Yeah. Because, like, we know everything's fine. Like, there, there's no, like, tension. It's like, oh, he's not dead because we know he's not dead. So I, I'm not going to buy this fake out. Yeah. I don't think it's for the audience. I think it's for, what's his face? DeSoya. DeSoya? Father, Captain, General. DeSoya. <laughs> nope, not pomegranate general. Pomegranate, soya. <laughs> pomegranate. What's a pomegranate have to do with anything? What does the rest of it have to do with anything? He's a priest. I don't know and his a captain. first name. It's Frederico. I've told you like three times <laughs> this I episode. I thought it was pomegranate. Yeah, it was Father Captain Pomegranate de Soya. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, are you just, you're just trying to cover up your pomegranate snafu? No, it was not a Safu. I said it on purpose, and I didn't really think it was his first name. It was just the first word that came to mind. Okay, perfect. So glad. <laughs> and why not? Can you even think of a name? Can we think of any random, like, vaguely, like, Spanish-Italian name or something? Which, why couldn't his name be Pomegranate? I wouldn't put it past uh, Mr. Simmons. No, his name would be like Epsilon 62 <laughs> underscore 5 or whatever. No, it would be Pomegranate and it would be passed on from his great-great-grandfather and we'd have 40 pages about the story no. about his grandfather. His name would be something like, you know, Chaucer or whatever. And it'd be like some story about how he is like named for Chaucer or he's a reincarnation <laughs> of Chaucer. <laughs> All right, well, that's, I mean, we're leaving it there with the suspense, the cliffhanger of Raul being dead. We love your books. I'm having a lot of fun. I mean, look, I'll be honest, I found reading the first Hyperion books to be much less of a slog. I think if I was reading these books just for, like, my own self and not taking notes and trying to, like, constantly think, how am I going to make this into a coherent summary for Danielle, I'd enjoy them a lot more. I think it's like the task <laughs> I've given myself in explaining these stories have made them less enjoyable so I'm not just, like, experiencing them as, like, a, a feeling that they're trying to convey. Sorry to ruin your fun. <laughs> it's not your fault. I think it's a lot of fun to try to make sense of them, too. And I also enjoy making you very angry with details like about fly bikes that don't matter. <laughs> And you have read them before, so it's fine. You got to enjoy them once previously. I did. I've read them at least once before. Oh, all right. Well, there you go, Danielle. Uh, Endymion, part four. Oh, it's we're ending. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, told, I said we're going to end there on the cliffhanger. Yeah, I didn't hear that part at all. I was just I figured not paying we attention very well soon, this episode. <laughs> you know what? There's a lot going on. There was somehow very little and a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Again, there was so much detail in these books. Like, this was a feature of the previous books. But I think it's like amplified in these books where it sounds worse in these. It is there's so much more extraneous detail about the world building and the background, like and everything else, and so much of the plot, like is moving the characters from place to place so they can have these conversations with nothing. Ha- like and Nia and Raul, again, them talking about to go look for the arch, and they get there and instead of looking for the arch, they just have a conversation about summarizing the previous book about all the uh, uh, the AI UI stuff. Yeah, I feel like the last couple books we were exclaiming a lot on the the plot shenanigans, and this feels very much like we're exclaiming a lot on the world building shenanigans. <laughs> because there's virtually no plot. Like the plot, I can summarize the entire plot of this book as Ron Stutter and Nia went to the Time Tunes, has come out, and Roll and Demi has been tasked to rescue her from the new government, which is a weird version of the Catholic Church using the Cruciforms for Resurrection, and they have fled down the River Tethys. And, yep. and that now is what we have so far. On a journey to discover their true selves. No, to become an architect. <laughs> to become an architect. That's part of her true self. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I thought it was going to be more specific, Danielle. You can make this into like a funny little travel rom-com. And it'd be so much fun. Catchy like- little musical background and then have little shots of them like traveling down the River Tethys with their frat. Dude, it's like a Thelma and Louise thing. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be more fun. Minus the dying. Mm, I don't know, Danielle. <laughs> Maybe. We don't Maybe. know what happens to his face. There's a good chance he might die in that box. The, the Shortinger's cat box, which mm-hmm. is not... The Schrodinger's cat. Never mind. I'm not going back into that. I talked about that in the first episode. Go back and listen to that one. The not Schrodinger's cat box. Anyway, I'm not saying it's a bad book, but it's a very different style of book, I feel. Like, suddenly it shifted from a sci-fi, you know, space opera to a philosophy exposition hidden in a bit of sci-fi trappings. Which is fun, too. It's fun, too. It's just a very different story. I was like, no, this is going to be much harder to make pod content out of. But we're doing it. And I got to say, Danielle, good job. Thank you. <laughs> you, too. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on if Roll is actually dead or not, you can tell us what you think happened to him <laughs> at bookretorts.com. 
You can tweet Instagram or Facebook us at Book Retorts. If you want to fund our domain, KeatsAllTheWayDown.com, you can support us at <laughs> Patreon.com slash Book Retorts. Keats, 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 Keats. That'd be the entire webpage. It'd just be like the word Keats over and over again, like infinite Maybe. scroll of Keats. <laughs> All the way down. <laughs> All the way down. Just keep scrolling. There's more keys. Like, just keep up another key. So I'm just scrolling. Ah, this is worth keys. $15. Why are we not doing this? It would not be hard to make an infinite key scroll on the web page. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. All right, Daniel, give me $15. I will make this happen. It's so funny. All right. Well, to see that dream come true, again, support us at patreon.com slash book retorts. Until next time, I don't know, maybe like check if the inflatable raft is in your ship before you go crash into a river. Yeah, geez, what were you even thinking? Yeah. Do your pre-flight safety check. Obvious stuff. (laughs) Well, until then, bye. Take care, everybody. I gotta send you the Martin Salinas page. So read read the title of this page for me, Danielle. Martin Salinas, our poet. He's our poet. He's the world's poet. <laughs> Quote unquote, our poet. Martinites, is that a thing? Apparently Martinites is the name the Martin Salinas fans have given themselves because Sure, sure, why not? They care way too much. Love that. Do you wanna read a poem for us, Danielle? I wanna read a poem. Read the second poem. Hyperion page twenty five. Yeah. He said he said Yep. <laughs> it's spelled weird. <laughs> so I shall begin the game. What to welcome be the co- a goddess name? Now let us ride and Harkness. Why is it spelled so weird? Harkness. This what might I say? Be Chaucer. Yeah, it might be what I say. And with that word, we ride in our way. And he began with a right my Myri cheer, Mary cheer, Mary, Mary cheer. <laughs> okay, if you guys could see how this is spelled. <laughs> His tail and on and said, as ye may hear. I thought I did pretty well, considering. You did really well. I think that went on purpose. <laughs>